Well, what do ancient Jewish traditions, escape rooms, and kids trying to understand, understand song lyrics have to do with each other? It is my job to try to weave all of those together. Together, Sophia, that's juntos. Together, yes? To weave all of that together this morning, we're going to do that. But before I do, uh, I don't know if you've picked up any new habits or, or hobbies during COVID, uh, but, but maybe during the pandemic, you started to do some things you've never done before. Maybe you started doing some things you had not done in a while. Uh, but I have found out, statistically, more Americans are reading books than have read books in the past seven years. Uh, there's been a regular survey that's been kind of around since 2011, asking people 18 and over one question. Here's the question. Have you read at least one book this year? Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of book. It could be an autobiography. It could be fiction. It could be a how-to book. For all I know, it's a children's picture book. I don't know. But, but uh, between 2019 and 2021, the number who said yes jumped 3%. Now, 3% does not sound like a lot. I will give you that. But when you consider the fact it dropped 6% over the previous eight years, and when you consider the fact it was already at 72% saying yes to that in 2019, so there were only 28 percentage points to play with, a 3% jump is actually pretty good. I'd like to think through the pandemic, people rediscovered the joy of reading. And that is a good thing because, check this out, a recent Yale study tracked 3,600 people over 12 years. They found that book readers live an average of two years longer than those who do not read books. So if you are among the 75% who read books regularly, give yourselves a hand. I saw you starting to give yourself a hand. That's really good. Keep up the good work. You are adding two years to your life just by reading. Now, if you are here this morning uh, or you're watching from home and, and you're saying, I don't like to read. I have news for you. In fact, um, this will be important for all of us. Do you know how much you already read in a normal average day? Um, recent research by Lifehack suggests that an average social media user reads 285 pieces of content every single day, which is an estimated 54,000 words. If that is true, you are reading a novel slightly longer than The Great Gatsby every single day. Nikita Bakshani, she's the editor of The Morning News. She did her own research on this. She estimates the number of words is actually twice that of what Lifehack thought. She writes this, the typical American consumes more than 100,000 words a day and remembers none of them. And then she says this, when everybody's reading but nobody's smarter... What value has the word? That's a good point. Could be we read so much, it's just hard to retain it all. Or it could be that a lot of what we read is just breadsticks. Oh, I should explain that. Breadsticks. Uh, do you remember, you'll all get this if you're my age or older, um, there was a time where lots of restaurants would have breadsticks on the table when you walked in and sat down, or sometimes crackers, saltines, things like that. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not talking about freshly baked, hot, soft, flavorful breadsticks. I'm talking about crackers in the form of a long stick. Uh, at least where I grew up, uh, you, you might have gone to a restaurant and been greeted by uh, a lot of these bad, hard breadsticks on the table. And as a kid, the breadsticks were what it was all about. 
They made great drumsticks to play on the table while you were waiting to order, and, and they were something to eat while you were waiting for your food. And so my brother and I, we would love the breadsticks. My parents might have one each, but my brother and I, we would finish off the basket or the goblet or whatever they put them in. We would finish off the breadsticks, and then we would politely ask for more. And the server would bring more, and we would dive right into these breadsticks. And it, at some point, my mom would say, hey, don't fill up on breadsticks. You've you got to save room for your dinner, your much healthier dinner. Uh, I don't know why she thought that my, my chicken fingers and fries would be healthier than the <laughs> breadsticks. But what she meant was, you can fill your stomach with breadsticks and be full, but what you'll be missing is the protein. What you'll be missing is the healthy, good for you, gonna make you grow up dinner that you ordered off the children's menu. Breadsticks might make you full, make you not wanna eat anymore, maybe make you think you don't need anything else, but they are not what you need to grow. Anyway, back to the 100,000 words you read every day. I wonder if a lot of what we read is just breadsticks. We fill up on all of this stuff, this content, and it leaves us not hungry enough to eat, to read, that which would grow us. Now, you are in a church today, and you would assume that as I talk about reading something that would grow us, I am talking about the Bible, and you would be right. There are many books that would grow us, many books that would be worth at least a few of your 100,000 words, but the Bible... We have an interesting relationship with it. I don't mean we at Crosswinds. I just mean we Americans. Um, five years ago, the Barna Group did a study about Bible reading in America. And what they found was that 62% of people in the community surrounding our churches would like to read the Bible more. That is surprising to me. Is that surprising to you? This is not church people. This is just people people. 62%. Now get this. 87% of people in churches say that they want to read the Bible more. 87% of you would say you want to do that. So there is an interest, right? But what those same studies have shown is that with every consecutive generation, Bible reading falls by 20%. That's 700 people per day stop reading it or reading it with any regularity. If that trend continues within 18 years, two-thirds of Americans will have no meaningful connection to the Bible at all. And, and I know that within five minutes of being up here, I have given you a crazy amount of statistics, and, and you might be a little overwhelmed by it and wondering where I'm going, and, and you might even be discouraged by it and, and feel defeated, because you would say that you are in the 87% who want to read it, but also in the 700 a day who have stopped reading it. Maybe you stopped reading it a long time ago, or maybe for the same reasons you've never tried to read any of it. I have good news for you today. The reason there's a disconnect between what you want and what you do when it comes to the Bible might not be you or your you know, laziness or your ADHD or your spiritual apathy or whatever it is you're worried you have. The reason you might have given up on reading the Bible or might currently be giving up on reading the Bible or maybe someday give up on reading the Bible is because you might be reading it all wrong. It is not because you don't like to read. You read 100,000 words a day. It's not because you don't have time. You can read the Bible by listening to an audio book in the car. Once again, you have time to read 100,000 words a day. The reason is because when it comes to the Bible and reading it, you might not be an insider. 
And my job, this series, is to take you inside the culture of Jesus and show you something today that will change how you read the Bible. This whole series, in case you missed last week, this whole series, we are stepping back into ancient Jewish culture, tradition, the culture that Jesus grew up in, lived in, that he taught in, and we're looking at some words of Jesus every single week that you think you understand, but you don't understand, because you can't understand them until you understand something else. And I believe that the reason the Bible is not everything it's meant to be for you is because you possibly don't know something that you should know. Let me show you something real quick. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Can we read that verse together? Let's, let's all read it at the same time, all right? For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And I don't know, maybe you see a verse like that and you think, the Bible does not seem alive and active to me. You think, that is not my experience when I read it, and it's because you're not an insider. And my job is to make you an insider, and part of why I am so excited to do that today is because I think that once you become one, it is going to make it come alive, and it's going to bring you an experience of Jesus, and it will be so much more filling for you than breadsticks. So, I'm going to help you read the Bible right, and I'm telling you right now, what I'm going to tell you is not what you think I'm going to tell you. Now, just to keep you in surprise about what I'm going to tell you a little bit longer, before we talk about how to read it right, can we talk about how we read the Bible kind of wrong? And, and I'll just, I'll confess that I have done, and I do, each one of these things that I'm going to tell you, and, and I have gotten it, I still get it wrong. Let me share with you some wrong approaches to reading the Bible, Okay. The first one, the magic eight ball approach. Uh, do you remember from when you were a kid how awesome magic eight balls were? You could come up with the most complicated questions and you would just shake the eight ball and you would look in the window through that like weird purple liquid at the floating triangle thing with the messages on each side and whatever message you saw, this is what the cosmos had in store for you. So like, will Jessica and I kiss sometime in the next few weeks? Very doubtful. <laughs> Will I be a billionaire when I grow up? Outlook not so good, right? Well, we kind of do this with the Bible, don't we? I, I have a question that I need an answer to, and I Google. Google is my new eight ball. What does the Bible say about getting my kid to clean up their room when I ask them to? And my Google search takes me to something like this. Those who spare the rod hate their children. And I think, it wants me to hit my kid with a rod? I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Maybe I had to put this magic eight ball, I mean Bible, down. The reason that this is a wrong approach is because, one, the Bible is not magical. And two, its primary function is not to answer your most pressing questions. What? It's not? Did he just say that the Bible isn't here to answer my urgent question? Then what's it even here for? I did say it. I'm going to tell you in a minute. But if you take the magic eight ball approach, no wonder you stopped reading it. The same way we all stopped using magic eight balls when we were 11. It didn't work. The answers that we found when we looked at it didn't match our reality. And guess what? They weren't designed to. Let me give you another approach that we try that doesn't work. The pinball approach. 
I will open the Bible, whatever verse I see first, whatever I hit with my finger, whatever it lands on, that is what I will read. So let me open it up. Let's see. Jonah 2.10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Oh, well, that one doesn't seem too relevant to me today. Let me try it again. Song of Solomon 2.4. Refresh me with apples, sustain me with raisin cakes, for I am lovesick. Okay, maybe that's an idea for an afternoon snack. <laughs> Not sure when I'm going to find raisin cakes, but okay, let me try again. Galatians 5.12. Would that those who are upsetting you might also castrate themselves. <laughs> okay, this is not working out. I am done. All right. For some of us, what reading scripture has looked like is opening it up, trying to read, and what we read makes no sense. Or it doesn't apply to what we're going through. And so, so we pinball to another part, and we try again, and then we pinball and we try again, and we ricochet around. Um, honestly, even with devotional books that we read, sometimes this kind of thing happens. There, there are so many books on the market or, or booklets that are kind of Bible supplements with a reading for each day, and, and they're great. I don't mean to take away from them. Just keep reading them. But, but they pinball a little bit. It's just somebody else controlling where the pinball's going to go. And there's no discussion of culture or authorship or history or original intent of what it is you're reading. None of that is discussed. It's just a verse out of context and another one and another one. Now, there are many more not-so-great approaches, but let me give you one more because I don't want to spend all of our time on what we're doing wrong. I want to teach you how to do this right. One more approach I'll give is the Pandora approach. A lot of you, I'm sure, have tried the Pandora radio app by now, right? Um, if you're unfamiliar with Pandora, uh, with regular radio, when you tune to a radio station, you have to listen to every single song that they play. I mean, you can change the channel, but you can't change the song that's on next. You, you are stuck with whatever you're given on the station. Okay, on Pandora, you put in the different singers and bands and songs that you like. And Pandora uses an algorithm to figure out what it is you like about the music that you listed. So what does it have in common? Is it rock? If so, is it soft rock, hard rock, uh, yacht rock, acid rock? There's a lot of different rock. Does it have guitar leads? Uh, does it have a lead singer? It analyzes what you like, and then it incorporates other similar songs and artists into the mix. And, and every, single, every single time a song plays, there's a little thumbs up or a thumbs down that you can click. And if you click the thumbs down button, it skips to the next song, and it learns your tastes. Well, in an age of customization, this is how many of us approach the Bible. I like 1 Corinthians 13 about love, but I don't like 1 Corinthians 11 about women. Boop, I'll skip that one. I like the part in Joshua where God brings the Israelites into the promised land. I don't like the part where Joshua kills people. Thumbs down. I like Jesus, the baby in the manger, but the Jesus where he tells us to cut off our hand or pluck out our eye, how'd that end up in my playlist? Skip. It's like we tailor our approach to scripture, or what we're going to read. We curate it around our tastes and our sensibilities. And, and, and usually what that means is we tailor it around the easy parts, the parts that are not going to challenge us or confront us, or, or we tailor it around the parts that don't embarrass us, because there's parts of the Bible that we're embarrassed by, right? Maybe even a little bit ashamed. 
And, and rather than trying to understand what Jesus meant when he said the thing about plucking out your eye or what might have been happening at the time of the writing of the book of Joshua that resulted in a story about Joshua killing people in that book or what the various theories are on what Paul did or did not mean to say about women in 1 Corinthians 11. Spoiler, I don't think he said what a lot of people think he said. Rather than reading the parts you don't like and figuring out what to do with them, we just ignore them and make sure they don't end up on our playlist. No wonder we start off really interested in the Bible. We want to read it more. But 700 people a day stop. We, we don't feel like we're reading something living and active. We feel like we're reading something ancient and dead and irrelevant. And, and often when we approach it in these ways, we do not have a God experience in it. So let me show you how to approach it the way that Jesus would have, the way that Jesus did in his time here on earth. And to do that, I need to take you inside his culture. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard of the Jewish Mishnah. We'll put that word up on the screen right now. I assume you may have heard that word Mishnah. Uh, maybe you don't know what it means. And, and maybe alongside it, you've heard the word Torah. Some of you might know that one better, uh, know what it is. But if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to explain it right now. The Torah was the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Um, I said it was the first five books. It still is the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible. And in Jesus' time and culture, Jewish people would study these first five books, the Torah, uh, especially men, especially boys. They would learn it, and they would be able to read it, and they would be able to recite it. And, and, and actually, you, if you've ever opened up a Bible and you started reading from the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, you were reading the Torah. Now, I, I will tell you, as much as we think of the first five books of, of the Bible as the stories of how God's people came to be. There's stuff in there like stories, but it's also a lot of law. How we should and shouldn't live as the people of Israel. Lots of law. And the reason that matters is because the Mishnah is not the rest of the Old Testament, as sometimes people who are not Jewish tend to think. The Mishnah was the collective people's understanding of how to interpret those laws. So the Torah, first five books of the Bible, the Mishnah, essentially commentary on those first five books. All right, I'm going to give you an analogy that, like most analogies, does not really work, but it'll help you get an idea of what I'm trying to explain here. My apologies in advance if you are a Jewish scholar in here, because this is not a great analogy, but it's all I've got, all right? If I watch the Warriors game on Sunday night... That is the Torah. What I mean by that is it is the thing. It is the main thing. And then later, after the game is over, if I watch SportsCenter and I see the highlights and maybe a quick post-game interview and I hear the music, da -na -na, da -na -na, right? is that the Mishnah? No. The Mishnah is not just a rehashing of the highlights from the Torah. It's not just a clip show giving you the best parts of the first five books. The Mishnah is this guy. <laughs> Do you ever watch First Take with Stephen A. Smith, which is on every single weekday morning where he sits and Stephen A. Smith talks about the game and he comments on the game from the night before and he theorizes about what went wrong or right with the game and then he inevitably comes up with crazy arguments about Steph Curry and whether he has more to prove or who's the best shooting guard of all time. He will sit and argue with whomever is across the table from him for two hours, you guys. 
That is the Mishnah. Not so much the arguing, although we're going to get arguing and debate in a minute, but the Mishnah is the record of people trying to understand what to do with the Torah. And the reason that that is important is because while the Mishnah does not get written down into paper form until a few hundred years after Jesus, for thousands of years before Jesus, the Mishnah is verbal. It's what's called oral tradition. The Torah we may read, but the Mishnah is what we all know collectively about how we all follow the Torah back then. So all of that to say, all of that set up to tell you this, that inside the Mishnah, it says this. Take a look. When two sit together and exchange words of Torah, then the divine presence dwells among them. Now, I want to make sure that you're awake because this has been a lot and, and you did not think you were signing up for seminary when you came today, but I want to make sure you've really read this with me. So would you turn to somebody next to you, even if they're a stranger, just look them in the eye or well, you, you won't be able to because you'll have to look at the screen, but, but just read part of the Mishnah to them. This part right here. Would you read this sentence to somebody sitting next to you? Go ahead right now. You can do it right now. This is very short, but this is going to be very important in just a minute. When two sit together and exchange words of Torah, then the divine presence dwells among them. The divine presence. What it says there is when we gather and we read the Torah, God is in our midst. Okay, now I need to tell you about something called a haver. Will you say haver with me? Haver. Haver. Now, uh, prior to about 10 months ago, the only time I had heard the word haver was in the Proclaimer song, I'm Gonna Be, 500 Miles, where he sings, if I haver, well, you know I'm gonna be the man who's havering for you. Anybody remember that song? And, and uh, when Scottish people use the word haver, and the Proclaimers are from Scotland, they mean babble or chatter or even talk foolishly. But when ancient Jewish people use the word haver, they meant a friend. And what they would do, and they still do to this day, is some friends would gather a group of students together to study the Torah, and they would call this group a havruta, a group of friends who get together to study the Torah. So back to the Mishnah on the side screens. When two people sit together and they exchange words of the Torah, a havruta is what they're talking about right there, God, the divine presence, dwells among them. Now, I will tell you, um, I have grown up in church, and I have sat in on my fair share of small groups and Bible studies and people who get together to exchange the words of the Bible, and 90% of the time, this does not ring true. The feeling of the divine presence among us. Sometimes the groups are incredibly boring, or sometimes the groups are fun. I, I like the people, but I don't know that I sense God's presence there. Um, maybe you've been in some kind of Bible study or small group before, and it was good or it was not good, but your Havruta that you were in, you were in a Havruta, it did not leave you feeling like you were in the midst of the divine, the presence of the divine. And I will tell you, I am almost certain what you were in was not a Havruta. See, when we think about a Havruta, two or more Jewish students sitting down to study the Torah, what do you picture? You picture students sitting at desks, 
with their heads buried in their books, studying all of this information, each student with their head bowed, pouring silently over the ancient text, intensely reading. Maybe they're taking notes, highlighters out. That is not a Havruda. Even today at a Jewish seminary, if that's what you expect to see when you walk in, people just sitting alone reading, you would be mistaken. Instead, what you will see is a study hall full of multiple conversations. Pairs of students will be standing at podiums like this, facing each other and discussing and debating the fine points of what it is they're reading. Somebody will have one hand under a book like this and use their other hand as they're gesturing wildly about what they're trying to make a point about that they're reading. If one person doesn't understand a passage, the other people will come around them and they'll try to explain it. And as a group, as a group, they're trying to think of the possible interpretations of the text. It's like what we saw in the escape room. A group of people working together, trying to figure out what a sentence or what a concept means. As a group, they're struggling with it and they're asking questions of it. And they're wrestling with each other and trying to get it. And that is called a Havruta. Um, you saw that video earlier with the kids trying to explain their songs, right? Um, one of my favorite things to do when I was in my 20s, my, my friends and I would be in a car and um, I would very intentionally pop on songs that were cryptic and very hard to understand. And uh, we would listen to those songs and then I would say to my friends, what in the world do you think that that song means? Um, my favorite band to do this with was R.E.M. Any other R.E.M. fans in here from like back in the day? Um, I would play an R.E.M. song. Uh, for example, uh, one of my favorite R.E.M. songs, You Are the Everything off of this album, Green. And there was this line, and you're drifting off to sleep with your teeth in your mouth. <laughs> I assume it's about somebody falling asleep, but we all sleep with our teeth in our mouth. There's no other place your teeth can go. So is this about dentures? What is happening in this song? <laughs> and, uh, and we would drive for an hour listening to the song, and we would just keep replaying that lyric and the surrounding lyrics, and we'd try to figure out what this could possibly mean, and we would debate it with each other, and we would argue it. Um, here's one. See if you know what REM song this is from. Feed it off an ox speak, grunt no, strength no, ladder start to clatter with fear fight down height. Does anybody know what song that's from? Okay, let me, let me read it in rhythm. Feed it off an ox speak, grunt no, strength no, ladder start to clatter with fear fight down height. What, what song is that from now? It's the end of the world as you know, exactly. Uh, and we try to figure out what that meant when I would play that in the car, uh, or, 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 frankly... <laughs> We would just even try to figure out what Michael Stipe was singing because it is so fast. Um, you cannot figure this song out in an hour. That's like a cross-country road trip and back. Uh, what we were doing with each other was a Havruda. But we weren't doing it with scripture. We were doing it with songs. And here is what you need to know to be an insider. Throughout the ages, Jewish thinkers have considered it vital to study the scriptures in the presence of other people. And, and if you want to approach Scripture the way that Jesus approached Scripture, um, the way that Jesus read his Bible, it did not involve pinballing from verse to verse. And it didn't involve magic eight-balling his questions. And I promise you, he did not Pandora the parts that he liked and didn't like. He took those parts, as did any adherent Jewish person in his time. And Jesus had Havrudas about them. There was this time when Jesus was 12 years old that he went missing in Jerusalem. And his parents couldn't find him. And uh, the Bible tells us like three days later, 
they find him. They go to the temple. And Jesus is sitting with the teachers. And he's asking them all these questions. And he's listening. And then it says he's saying things, having insights to what the scriptures say that amaze everybody standing around. And do you know what that was? It was a Havruta. And when his parents when his parents say, we've been looking for you everywhere, you had us scared to death, he says back, why would you think I'd be anywhere other than my father's house? Which we have taken to mean, why would you think I'd be anywhere other than the temple? But now that you've read some of the Mishnah, let me put it back up, you know that the reason Jesus says, I am in my father's house in the middle of this Havruta is because in this Havruta, he has been experiencing the divine presence of God dwelling among them. He did this his entire life growing up. Jesus may have come across something in scripture that he did not understand, and he would get with a few friends, and they would sit together, or, or more likely they would stand together, and they would try to explain to each other what they thought that the Torah meant, and they would make their case to each other, and then they would go think about it for a day, and then they'd come back tomorrow and go, you know, I changed my mind. I have a new idea. And they believed that in that exchange, where they would sit or stand and talk about crazy ideas about Scripture and what God might mean, in this exchange, the divine presence would be felt. A Havruta is not a group where people sit and read and then they move on. A Havruta is not a place where somebody teaches and everybody listens. This is not a Havruta. A Havruta is a place where we grapple, we wrestle, we might even leave with, with very different ideas than we came in with. A Havruta is a place where we talk about what in the Bible we find challenging. And the early rabbis believed that when you do that, the divine presence dwells among you. And if you want to read the Bible and not quit, not give up on it, and if you want God's presence to be felt when you do, can I tell you, do it in a group of people. And come to that conversation ready to be stretched and challenged and open to a different perspective. Now, there is more to why God has you here today than for me to just tell you about Havruta. Because the plan each week in Insider isn't just to tell you some ancient Jewish practices that you don't know. It's to help you understand Jesus because of those practices. So let me show you something and then you can leave. And you can go have a Havruta about what I'm going to show you, okay? I'm going to give you something to think about and talk about and maybe even debate and argue about. For those of you who love to debate and argue, you ready? Jesus grows up hearing every rabbi say this. When two sit together and exchange words of the Torah, then the divine presence dwells among them. Jesus hears this all the time, and then one day, Jesus drops a bomb. And he says this in Matthew 18. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Jesus says to this group of people, who knew this other saying from the Mishnah, something very different than they were used to hearing. I bet that when Jesus said, when two or three gather, I bet everyone who's listening, their minds immediately filled in the rest of the sentence. Oh, when two or three gather and exchange the words of the Torah? But he doesn't say that. He replaces that with what? In my name. He says, do you know that thing 
that you all do with the Torah where you sit and you debate and you discuss and sometimes you stand and you discuss and you spend time on it and you think about it and you talk about it. The Torah, first five books of the scripture, the law, you dwell in it and as you do, God dwells with you. You ready? I'm the new Torah. I am the new law. Now, God wants you to sit and talk about me. You guys, Jesus had the guts to sub himself in for the Torah and to set you off on your own havruta of discussion. Um, let me give you my impression of what that means, that the word of God used to be the Torah. It used to be the law. If we wanted to hear from God, we would read the book, but that with Jesus, the word became flesh. And, and can I tell you a thing I've noticed in Christianity? Because we don't understand what Jesus is doing right here, subbing himself in. Because until now, we haven't been insiders, and we didn't know the original thing. We've not read the Mishnah. We substitute Jesus back out. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, Jesus. It tells us he is the word of God. I mean, it actually says right there, Jesus is the word. The word that we're supposed to live by became a person. And guess what I've noticed? Somehow, we still sub Jesus back out. Um, let me show you something. At the beginning of my time with you this morning, I put a verse on the screen, and we all read it together. Hebrews 4.12. Let's put it up. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And I would bet good money, 99% of us, when we read that phrase, word of God, earlier, we thought that this was talking about Scripture. For Scripture is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Okay, is it Scripture or is it Jesus? I believe that our minds sub Jesus out. But watch this. Try subbing him in right now like he subbed himself in. For Jesus is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Let me ask you, is the Torah alive and active or is Jesus alive and active? 1 Peter 1.23 says, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Okay, is that about Scripture? Or is that about Jesus? I don't know about you. I was born again through the living and enduring Jesus. When the book of Acts, which tells the story of these new Christians starting the church, when it says the word of God continued to spread and flourish among people as the apostles started preaching the word of God, Jesus, when we read that in the book of Acts, is it saying that the, the scriptures spread or that Jesus spread? See, this Mishnah said, when two or three gather to talk about Scripture, God is in their midst. But Jesus changes that. He says, when two or three gather to talk about me, God is in their midst. And actually, actually, he says even more than that, your Havruta is about to get way more challenging. Because look at what else he subs in. It used to be, when two or three people gather and talk, the divine presence is among them. But Jesus says, when two or three gather to talk about me, I am with them. Jesus doesn't just say, I am the new thing to gather and talk about. He says, I am God. I am the divine presence of God. And every time you sit with two or three people and you read what I've said and you talk about what I've done and you question together what that means for how you should live, 
and how you even disagree with each other and decide to spend some time trying to figure out what, what is what. Whenever anybody does this, I am with them. And, and can I tell you, people here today, who I am sure all want an experience of Jesus in your midst, and you wonder why that doesn't happen when you pinball from scripture to scripture and, and you sit alone one morning reading it. And, and, and you wonder why you don't feel Jesus when you Pandora, only the parts that you like. And, and when you magic eight ball the Bible and it doesn't seem to work. Can I tell you, Jesus is ready to give you an experience of him in the Bible. He's ready to give you a real experience. But what it starts with is two or three or four or five or six or 10 or 12, it starts with people gathering with you and you having a Havria. Not, not just a pleasant read, a, a book club, if you will, where we all just sit around and admire the book we're reading together, but a Havruda where we read the easy parts and we read the hard parts and we struggle with them together. If you've been here at Crosswinds even one Sunday before today, it is likely you have heard us talk about small groups where weekly or every other week or whatever, we get together and we read from the Bible. We read about Jesus and we talk about him. We try to understand what he said. We talk about what it means for our lives today. And the way that you can read the Bible like Jesus read the Bible is with other people, with some friends. Friends you might not even know yet. And you can have Havruda with each other. And, and what the Mishnah said and what Jesus said is when you do the divine presence, Jesus makes himself known. We have all sorts of ways you can find out about small groups. There's a kiosk in the, in the courtyard. In fact, at the welcome kiosk today closest to the parking lot, there'll be lots of info about how to get into a group. There's Taco Tuesday this Tuesday night. The whole point is to come eat tacos and hear about what Havrudas are out there that might interest you. We, we, we've got other slides we'll cycle through that'll tell you what else is going on. And if you will do none of those or you're watching online, you can email groups at crosswindschurch.org and somebody will get in touch with you about a small group that you might be interested. Maybe even some online Havrudas for those of you who don't live in the area or are, are not yet ready to be in person with us. All right, we are out of time. I, I am sorry I went long. Let me just kind of give you this blessing. Will you stand? And I'm going to just kind of give you a blessing before we go, all right? May you find some havers to Havruta with. And as you do, may the alive and active Jesus make himself known, his presence known in your midst. Amen. We'll see you next week.